0: And welcome back to another episode of Chicks into the Pits for installment number seven in absolutely exceptional fashion. We're finally together. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Me and Marty are having um, a vacation together, so we thought we could basically record the the episode on the go. So uh, excuse us if the audio isn't perfect, but I mean we're trying to do our best with our very limited resources. Plus, we just got back from the beach. So, yeah. we're we're kind of tired at the moment. So, um, yeah, finally, I mean, it's July, we finally had the start to the Formula One season this year, we waited so long, and boy, was it full of drama. <laughs> While we're recording, we're, what, Marty? three Grand Prix, three yeah, Grand Prix into the season, and yeah, there are so many things to talk about. Marty, do you want to start? Yeah. I mean the first thing that comes to my mind is the
1: horrible first lab accident uh, in Styria but um, I don't know, we may start on a softer note um, if you have any ideas because at the moment
0: Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean let's go with, with the wholesome moments, you know, because there are so many bad things to talk to talk about I feel like the wholesome moments uh, also need some recognition, so Landon Orris finally got a yeah. podium and we were so happy for him, honestly, that was an amazing performance, I mean, have you seen that last lap on board, Marty? Yeah, it was insane, yeah.
1: it was crazy, I mean, I didn't think he could actually get to the podium, like,
0: yeah, me neither. me neither, so it
1: was incredible, plus we both love him, so, yeah,
0: I was so surprised, to be honest, and, you know, it it looked like straight out of a of the um, of the plot of I don't know some kind of an action movie. Like at the very last minute, <laughs> at the very last lap, he had a very clear objective. Uh, you know, after Lewis got that five second time penalty. And he he really gave it all. I think it was an impressive last lap. And I've seen some people online actually share some criticism. They were like, oh my God, but his race engineer basically drove him all the way home. And I'm like, Honestly, like, are, are you probably only paying attention now to what race engineers do? That That's kind of their job. And I mean, it wasn't like the race engineer was in the car. I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong in getting some kind of a strategy aid, especially in such tense moments where, you know, adrenaline kicks in. But what really makes the difference is that Lando was able to keep his school and do exactly as he was told to perfection, to be honest. Like that was a generally very good lap.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very good. Plus, I mean, uh, I really hope people don't think that, I don't know, um, Lewis Hamilton wins without um, strategy aids
0: because
1: (laughs) that's not the
0: case. Like, imagine leaving a tyre strategy to Lewis Hamilton. (laughs) Somebody who complains (laughs) about gone tyres after, like, two laps. Yeah, but no, my tyres are gone. And they're
1: basically perfect. There is nothing wrong with
0: them. Like, boy, shut up. But yeah. Yeah, the one man who can actually probably do strategy better than his entire team is Sebastian Vettel. And yeah. we all know that. I don't know if you guys uh, have noticed, but in, you know, it, it really made the rounds on the internet, so I'm sure uh, most of you will have seen it. You, the the team radio at the very was it the first pit stop, Marty? I think yes. Yeah, it was the first um, one. And basically, like, the the race engineer was giving him some indication about soft tires, and Seb was like, okay, no, we're not going with soft tires. And, I mean, it was a pretty crazy idea going with soft tires. It was a drying track, a very cool track. Like, how on earth would have soft tires worked? And in fact, like, I think that Leclerc was on that strategy, on soft tire strategy, and he didn't perform nearly as well as Seb, because... Seb you know had the intelligence of going for medium tires thank so. god because otherwise yeah which. honestly like if you if they have to sack uh Seb as a driver they could probably get him on board as a strategist like yeah. I, i'm sure he could do a better job than Rueda at times
1: yeah so. i mean yeah positive <laughs> <Yes>. yeah definitely
0: <laughs> But of course, I mean the elephant in the room is Ferrari's, uh, you know, dip in performance yeah. in this 2020 season. But I mean, we we all know what the reason is, don't you think, Marti? Yeah, I mean,
1: they're, I don't want to. Uh, we we agree we wouldn't say bad words. I was about. To yeah, know. this is going to be a clean
0: episode, like 100% clean. Yeah, I was
1: about to say one. So, um, you know, I don't want to throw mud at them, but. Uh, they they just look like a bunch of clowns sometimes and they've been showing that like since February um, this year, so um, I don't know. I normally don't, I mean, don't like Ferrari that much, um, but this year they are like under delivering so much and um, I'm sure that lots of people didn't think that they would actually be at this point, like this low, with performance, but here we are, and...
0: <laughs> yeah, honestly, so like, we, we kind of imagined that, but not so much, you yeah. know. We, they were like, okay, this car is not precisely what we were hoping for, I mean, the signs were there in winter testing as well, but, you know, winter set- testing, you're always, oh, okay. okay, it's not like we can do much about winter testing, because... We we don't know what anybody's programs are, so we're, we're just balling it, really. Uh, but yeah, I mean, people who are still going into the Austrian Grand Prix Friday going like uh, oh, I'm sure Ferrari is sandbagging, but it's not like you can sandbag in qualifying, is it? Yeah. <laughs> that that's not how it works. <laughs> and honestly, Marty, I would also like your, um, you know, your point of view. Of course, I, I kind of know about it. I mean, we just spent a week together. What do you think we talked about? <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, the communication strategy Ferrari is going for. Of course, I'm not an expert. Like Marty, that is your field of expertise. But. I don't really think it's working. I think it's doing bad for them.
1: Yeah, they're absolutely crazy. Like, they are still adopting some 70s communication strategy, which is clearly not okay right now because the communication field is so, so much more complex than it was before and they are just showing that they're not capable to adapt to... To how it's changed, so they really—I um, I don't know—I really don't like how they're handling everything. Mainly, I mean, let's just think once again about when the news about um, Vettel not being not signing a new contract with Ferrari broke out. Like Ferrari, <laughs> I mean, they sent out um, a press uh, communication basically saying that. Um, they didn't reach an
0: agreement over negotiations, like the light. How
1: how can you write that when you perfectly know that it was you who didn't want to reach a new agreement? So, I mean, it was obvious. I didn't even try. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it was obvious that Seb would say something about this and and he basically would um, expose them. Like, they didn't say the truth and that's crazy to me. Like, that is really bad communication strategy. It's really bad. Plus, like, Binotto is... His? He's not really a people person, is he? <laughs> no, like, but, I mean, I'm not a people person either, but...
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: I know how to communicate, for God's sake. Like, saying that, they were cautious, cautiously optimistic. Yes, I don't like that. What, <laughs> what was that? Like, what was that? Cautiously optimistic and then qualifying is basically almost both cars out of Q2. What the hell is that?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the thing is that every, everybody expects Um, you know 2020 communication being about I don't know memes and banter and being witty on the internet and I don't want Ferrari to be that like I can understand that their line of communication is completely different mostly because it's not like Ferrari needs that like other teams generally Generally, minor teams. I mean, Mercedes indulges in that sometimes, but it's you know it's mostly racing points, stuff like that. They kind of need a bit of that because they need the buzz. They need to go viral. It's not like they have such a huge and dedicated following. So I understand the the philosophy behind Ferrari not going. All in with memes and you know a very millennial strategy, and, and I also agree to a certain extent. I mean, uh, they still represent you know a very peculiar brand. They had this ongoing narration about Italian excellence, and I mean, we challenged that uh, ourselves in previous episodes, Marty. I remember. Yeah. But the thing is, it's understandable. But there is a difference between you know uh, trying to communicate with the fellow kids, you know the meme, um, and being transparent. I mean the thing is that in 2020 everybody expects transparency is transparency when dealing with media and dealing with press. So it's understandable that you do not reveal everything, but to say something that basically did not happen and sell it as true to the media is really not the way to go like you're you're making enemies because the thing is if you say something that is blatantly false to the media of course the media report it and then later when they have to clarify and they have to send out basically the opposite thing because you admit that you lied it's not like the general public understand understands that you have lied they all blame it on the media and the media don't want to seem unreliable and that's only natural. So if you say say to me something that is false and then I have the duty of reporting that what you said is false to the general public, I don't want the blame to fall on me. So it's not the best way to to, to get, you know, sympathy and love from the media. Really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Plus because like if you say something false, which is like blatantly false it's obvious that you are at risk of losing credibility and I don't think that Ferrari is at the point where they can afford to lose credibility right now. So they really should have handled all of the communication strategies um, a lot better, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, there have been some steps forward. I, I think that Ferrari's media strategy has evolved in kind of a positive way over the years. It's just this recent dip it's so big, it's not something that you can recover like on on, on a whim, it's not it's not that easy. Uh, but well, I mean, about the, the reason of this dip in performance, I think that, I mean, we can all agree, guys, it's not like we shied away of saying that if you follow us on social media, and I'm sure that if you're listening, you kind of do, um, you already know where our stances are, you already know where our sources are. So, I mean, it's clear that Ferrari had to take a dip in performance, uh, risking a disqualification from the FIA and it's also understandable, I mean, you know how I feel about the FIA not being fully transparent and that's a euphemism really, like the FIA is the most opaque um, organization I've ever came in contact with, (laughs) you know, personally. but yeah, I can understand the reason—the reason behind keeping such a matter private. And just in a, in a recent, in a recent um, article, more, more like a post on Instagram, really. I didn't follow up with an article. I was saying that even if the FIA got these documents and this information illegally, they have a clause. They have, you know, a specific disciplinary rule allowing them to use. Uh, illegally obtained documents and to provide immunity to the persons of interest who brought these documents about. Because the idea is that the FIA has uh, the interest of the sport in mind first and then everything else comes second. So if something so big like Ferrari cheating like two championships away comes around, it really doesn't matter how you get to know that. So, yeah, I think that the idea of a mole inside Ferrari giving this information to other teams or to the FIA is absolutely plausible. I mean, we know the Formula One world, they're anything but saints. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, again, the reasons for keeping all of these private are pretty understandable. I mean, I always say that people don't really like when I say that, and I understand it's a bit of a cynical point of view but I mean Formula One of course is a sport but it's first and foremost a multi-million dollar business so it's not really something that you know you you can simply ignore. So Ferrari is pretty much the source of this multi-million dollar business and has been for the past 70 years. You cannot expect the FIA to just you know dish a two-year ban from the sport of Ferrari, Ferrari, that, that's just normal, so I, I get that they get the privilege, the privilege treatment, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, of course, it's not like they had any more options, because I understand that the situation was quite tense, but I wouldn't have taken this one, this particular one, lightly, because honestly, as much as Binotto refuses to admit that, and has refused for the past weeks, now it's kind of come into terms with with the fact that everybody understood that it's just too in the nose. Everybody knows what's going on. So I think that their, you know, their credibility is honestly destroyed. Binotto's personally, I think, uh, has lost all credibility also because before being team principal, he was CTO. So he was in charge of the engine. So this is, this one is, his personal responsibility, like first and foremost.
1: Yeah, and the problem with Binotto is that he was, uh, I think, much better as a technical director than yeah. as team principal, so, um, you, you know, a team principal needs to, to have certain characteristics, I think, like, you have to be just a bit charismatic, just, you know, you have to know how to interact with media and stuff, and he doesn't do that. He, genuinely doesn't know how to do that and it's like obvious, so um, I think that Ferrari really did wrong when uh, choosing him as team principal, like I I I don't want to say this but I kind of miss Arriba Bene I kind of miss him because uh, Mm -hmm. at least he knew how to talk to media, he knew how to um, yeah relate to to the public, to the fans, etc. and um, be not to just doesn't know how to do that and it's not like it's not like necessarily something negative it becomes negative when you are put in a role where your responsibility is part of this like part of your responsibility is dealing with media dealing with journalists and explaining things and Binotto doesn't know how to do that and to me it's crazy that nobody nobody has tried to uh to make him better at this
0: yeah honestly like in this, I, I kind of disagree with you, Marty, but not because I don't think this is part of Vinoso's responsibilities. Of course it is. But mostly because I, I think that charisma in a team principle and you know a certain kind of attitude is you know needed for the media, but mostly needed to deal with FIA politics yeah. and also to, to deal with the team itself. I mean, you need to be a leader of the pack. And I think that... What happened between Seb and Charles, I mean, they they can talk all they want, but Seb and Charles don't like each other. And (laughs) I think that partly Binotto is responsible for that as well. I mean, he wasn't able to, you know, teach their drivers how to be together as a team. Like, Of course, we couldn't expect Seb to go along with Charles as he did with Kimi. Also because of course, I mean, it's only natural, every driver is competitive and surely Kimi wasn't nearly enough of a threat to Seb and not as much as Charles, this is pretty obvious. Uh, But the fact is, you know, he he should have worked better on this, Binotto should have worked better on this. Um, He created a very nasty, nasty, um, you know, attitude within the team and um, he really couldn't handle FIA politics as well. And I think it really shows, especially when you look at Toto Wolf, like I think that People have this idea of team principles needing to be loud and very manly and very very aggressive. You know, I mean, it's sports cars, it's everything that testosterone and whatever (laughs) traditional masculinity is about, you know. So someone, you know, the glasses nerdy type like Benotto. some people really don't like for that reason. And these are pretty much the same people that love Gunter Steiner, which by the way, I think is a is a very good team principle. But you know, he embodies that. But yeah. it's not like Binotto needs to transform himself into that. And I think Toto Wolf really shows that. Like Toto has that kind of authoritative attitude that doesn't need to shout, that doesn't need to, to be loud, that doesn't need to be overly aggressive or anything like that. He has some kind of a poise, of a prowess and, of course, the results bring Mercedes and Toto the political power that is needed. He's like the 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 the, the, the epitome, the quintessential example of a businessman doing the team principle, and I actually firmly believe in businessmen doing team principles. Like, people were constantly whining about, uh, Arriba Bene coming from corporate, like he was a member of the board of, in Philip Morris because yeah. before becoming a team principal. And I mean, I, I understand wanting somebody with a little more experience in motorsport per se, but I also kind of understand not wanting an engineer, like a straight up engineer for the role. Yeah,
1: like the fact is that, for example, Toto Wolff is a born leader and you see that. And... Yeah. I mean, a leader doesn't necessarily need to be loud or to, uh, yeah, be full of testosterone or shout at anything. But um, it's just as obvious that Pinotto is not a leader. He is not made for being a leader. It's just like, yeah, it's simple as that. He cannot lead such a big team. He was so good as technical director, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it. I, when I think about this, I'm like, in Ferrari, there was really no one else good for this role. Yeah. Like, was it the only
0: possible choice? I don't think so. Yeah. This kind of comes into mind. And honestly, like, people, when you say that somebody is not born to be a, a leader, people take it the wrong way. Like, yeah. being anything but a leader is a bad thing. Like, we cannot all be leaders, yeah. guys, and we need other people types of personalities and other types of attitudes and skills around. It's not like being a leader is necessarily means being better. It just means have having a particular attitude and a particular skill set. And, you know, Marty Bean slightly more frivolous for a moment, like you have your horoscope, right? I I like to think of myself as a uh, more intellectual type of person, but it's pretty much the same things. You know, I'm obsessed with the Myers-Briggs personality test. Guys, you need to check that out. It's like, theoretically, it's supposed to be like a psychological assessment. It was elaborated by Jung um, first and then Myers-Briggs, of course. And, you know, it kind of divides people into personality types. And no other personality type is better than the other. They're just very different. And, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but Toto Wolf has been repeatedly typed as an ENTJ. And I am an ENTJ myself. So I understand it's called the the commander personality type. And it's kind of those where leaders fall and villains. They have a strange tendency of type in casting villains as the NTJs Mm -hmm. but anyway yeah and again you it really shows that it's just a different personality type it's nothing better and you kind of need that if you need to be if you have to be you know the director the the commander in in force of such a big team
1: yeah I mean if you were all naturally born leaders we would all be team principals but that's not the case because
0: yeah thank god honestly yeah like, i mean we really need
1: different personalities uh especially in an atmosphere like that so uh yeah it just shows that Binato is not i don't know uh less of a man or less of anything professionally because he is not uh, that able to lead his team he's just uh I mean, he's just not fit into that role. And it's, I mean, I don't think it's all his
0: fault. Like, let's just not blame him was not He wasn't trained for that. Like, he he was honestly thrown into that without any second consideration or second thought. And yeah, you know, going back to the Myers-Briggs for a moment, because, (laughs) I mean, it's really fun. But if you think about it, again, going about the, the idea that not everybody needs to be a leader. And thank God not everybody is a leader. Did you actually know, Marty, that the ENTJ, my personality type, is the second least common in the world? Really? We, we, we allegedly amount to like 0.9% of the really? population. But every single psychologist agrees that, thank God... ENTJs are not that much because honestly it's a bit much we we're a bit yeah. extra we're extra people yeah. so yeah I mean thank god not everybody has that leader personality has that charisma has that you know overbearing presence like I can understand that people like us and people like I don't know Toto wolf. of course we're generalizing guys it's you know, pretty much like talking about the horoscope, just with a little more...
1: Astrology, not the horoscope. Yeah,
0: astrology, whatever, Marty. (laughs) Just with a little bit of more of an intellectual vibe, you know. But yeah, I mean, we, we don't need that many people like that in the world, because Honestly, that would be like a constant war. We yeah. would be in a perpetual state of war. <laughs> so, thank God for that.
1: Yeah, it would be too much. And uh, uh, on this note, uh, I am an INTJ and I. Uh, That's why
0: we love each other yeah. so much.
1: I recently discovered that um, INTJ women are about uh, one and a half. Um, yeah, something like that. Like 1.5% uh, percent in the world.
0: So. Yeah, and you, for women, ENTJ, so my personality type, is actually the least common, like overall. It's the second least common uh, in general for both men and women, but for women is the least common because uh, women, you know, tend to be a little more like nurturing and whatever. And it's not like yeah. ENTJ people are not nurturing, but we're kind of a bit more assertive in some aspects. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not something that is usually found in women that frequently. But see, because see why we're talking about this. Pretty much as we would talk about astronomy, because of course we're generalizing and it would be crazy to type every single personality, you know, peeve and king of a person into, you know, 16 types. That's yeah. not how the word works. But anyway, like talking about other teams, like we have an address. The pink Mercedes, the infamous pink Mercedes, I'm so tired of hearing pink Mercedes, to be honest. like uh, we, we don't really like um, Sky Sports Italy commentators, no. Like especially no, Vanzini guys, honestly, you're lucky if you don't get <laughs> Italian mm-hmm. commentary. I mean, of course he has to do his job and I, I don't want him to be like a single nose always you know super professional commentator that's not what tv commentators do that's what you know specialized press does so i understand the difference but he's just he's just too much at times he's just too much and he's a leclerc fanboy and again i understand he kind of has to be because in italy that's what's trending right now so he of course needs to attract the Italian audience but anyway he's going around and around and around with his pink Mercedes of course we understand why I mean yeah that that car that car looks, looks yeah. a whole, an awful lot like a Mercedes yeah that's a, yeah, that's a pink Mercedes that's I, a pink yeah. Mercedes okay we can settle for that we just don't want to call them that the racing point the racing point so, yeah, I mean, their performance was out of this world. Yeah. But they didn't get a podium still. They, they... Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, just as much as we, we didn't expect Ferrari to be, like, at that point, we didn't expect... um I was going to say Cindy, but that's Racing <laughs> Point now. <laughs> racing we didn't point. expect uh, Racing Point to be um to be this high um, in terms of performance. They were genuinely like super super good and I'm sure that this year some podiums will come for them because I mean if they uh, go on like this it's obvious that they will get uh, some.
0: Yeah, honestly, Racing Point and Force India before that managed to snatch podiums even in you know complete dominance years by the top teams Yeah. so it's not it's absolutely safe to say that they will get some very very good results this year. I don't think we are ready to see a racing point win a Grand Prix. I mean, there's still the, the, the W11 on track. So, yeah. unless uh, Valtteri and Lewis just retire for some reason, that's yeah, not going to happen. Maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe. I hope yeah, so.
0: maybe. It, w- yeah. it would be nice. The, the last time both Mercedes retired, I think it was Austria th- 2018 or 17.
1: Oh God, I don't know. I can't that.
0: remember. No, it's, it was probably 18. 18, yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. 17 would be, like, too, too far away.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't remember as well, probably. Yeah. But anyway, it was Austria. I remember it was Austria, and yeah. it was really nice. And there was... Um, yeah, it
1: was 18,
0: yeah. 18, was yeah. 18. yeah Mirzap, uh, Verstappen ended up winning, and then there was a double podium for Ferrari, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Kimi was still there at good times. Yeah. We, we kind of miss him. too. We miss
1: honest. him.
0: With other kinds, we, we just miss him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... Do do you like what happened with Racing Point? I'm I'm kind of torn in half to be honest, Marty. Like from from some point of view, from a certain aspect, uh, you know, listening to the cynical me. I mean, Formula One is a business, and the best team should prevail. So it's only right that if there is a chance, a possibility of you know getting our hands on something that wins so much, then it's only fair. That another team should grab that chance but you know from a sports perspective you're like yeah it might be legal but is it really fair you, you know it? yeah,
1: yeah I, I really I still don't have an opinion about this I, I think I just need to read something more and uh, j- just see something more
0: Yeah, we'll see the investigation they're yeah. having an investigation yeah like honestly this week we didn't follow ha- as much as usual of course we watched the Hungarian GP But, you know, the news and stuff like that, we we didn't watch as much, Marti. I mean, we were trying to have fun, honestly, guys. And that that didn't bring us joy, like Mary Kondo says. Yeah, and Hungary
1: was just so boring. Yeah, Hungary,
0: we were like at the beach, and at some point, our internet connection failed at the beach. Because, I mean, you cannot expect Wi-Fi to work fantastically seaside. Uh, and we were like, okay, are we missing anything really? No. Nah, <laughs> and we shut everything down and took a dip into the sea because honestly that was the best option at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the FIA is now investigating brake ducts specifically and they impounded, I think, some projects and stuff like that. But yeah, again, even if the the, the brake ducts and the entire design of the car is found fully compliant Again, is that kind of a you know conundrum? I think we always have in sports, specifically in sports like most sports, where there is a technical component absolutely predominant. And the thing is, even if something is legal, when it is clearly not fair, clearly not ethically the best option, is it really good for the sport? And from yeah. some kind of point of view, you could say yes. I mean, the more Competitiveness—we haven't the agreed. The more teams fighting for podiums, for points finishes, we have the, the best it sh- should should be, you know. Yeah. But from another perspective, like it isn't really fair to the fans.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not, and uh, yeah, it's really hard, uh, yeah, for me to to develop an organic opinion about this because ethically, this is quite complex. I think. Um, whereas like legally or anything it could be um, a bit more straight forward um, he- ethically you, you don't really know uh, where to stand um, yeah I mean for the sport it's certainly better to have more and more cars being competitive and um, like, yeah fighting for for wins or for podiums um, instead of the the usual three which now yeah, and everybody too. <laughs> Um, But yeah, so, um, I I really don't know. Um, Ethically it's quite complex, I think.
0: Well, I know I'm angry at them because I went all the way to Salzburg. Oh yeah. Without it, Lake Monty, which was even, like, it was literally where... Marti, how do you say, how was it called Tutti insieme appassionatamente? I don't know. Musical. You know that musical, you know, with that hills are alive with the sound of music th- stuff? It's all yeah. passion, passionate, uh, passionately together, I don't know. I don't think it was that, but anyway, everybody knows that that musical. You know those, you know, out of this world, nowhere to be found hills in Austria? That's where Racing Point had their presentation, their uh, car reveal. Honestly, it was beautiful scenery, but you think, that i went all the way out to that to get a show car in the end i was like really guys <laughs> like i made all this you know struggles for you it was it wasn't really nice well thinking about it with hindsight i'm like oh damn they really got me didn't they yeah so but anyway we'll see what the results will be honestly i don't like when people say that's definitely illegal or like that's definitely legal. Like, what do you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why technical officials are there for, you know? <laughs> it's not like you can you jump to your own conclusions. They will always have evidence and documents that none of us have. So why even bother, to be honest? It's okay to have an opinion, of course, but to be so straightforward about it, like... Uh, you know everything about it. is It's just plain stupid. I think when people act like that, honestly, they sound stupid to me. Yeah. I'm like, are you really so blind that you do not understand how much goes behind the scenes? Like, yeah, they are. Yeah. They even, they either are or they're just so blinded by their own self importance that they don't notice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, guys, um, Marty, we have something more to say oh this week um yeah unfortunately again when this podcast goes online the first weekend of the gt war challenge will be finished but we're stoked we're always we're honestly so happy we were waiting for gt3 cars to go back on track for so long yeah
1: Oh my God, finally.
0: But we were actually lucky because we got some some kind of a GT3 action at the start of the year anyway. Because we got, I mean, we got uh, Dubai the seven hours this year, not 24 (laughs) hours of Dubai. (laughs) And then we got, uh, you know, Sebring uh, in terms of GTD and GTLM. So we were kind of lucky, but we're happy that our European Championship starts again. Yeah, finally, finally, yes. So, guys, thanks so much for tuning in for this very special episode. It's not every day, every day that me and Martina are together. Of course, you know, we live far apart and we loved having some time together during the summer. And we'll see you all in August when we will have, you know, a lot more Grand Prix under our belts.
1: Yeah, and I'll have lots of exams to prepare. Yeah.
0: But that one as well. <laughs> that one as well. Holidays are over, basically. But anyway, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the 27th of August as always. Yeah, thank you for following through. Goodbye.